everyone, and welcome back to Real Perspective, the podcast based on a YouTube channel, based on a podcast. As always, I'm your co-host, MJ Smith. I'm Missy Lonsinger. And uh, it's just Missy and I, as far as your normal co-hosts go this week, but we have a guest to talk about The Rehearsal, which is a reality series on Yeesh, yeah. HBO Max. <laughs> um, Adam Moffat, welcome to the show. Hello, I'm happy to be here. Yeah, thanks for coming on. I uh, In the middle of recording our Nope episode last week, I was like, we should do it, because Missy and I have been DMing about it, and Adam and I had been DMing about it. Hell yeah. And I was like, we should, just, we should just do an episode about the rehearsal. So here we are. Um, the rehearsal is a show on HBO Max that is uh, created by and stars Nathan Fielder of Nathan For You fame. And uh, much like that show, it kind of plays with the concept of what a reality show is. Uh, the ultimate premise, or the base level premise, I guess, is helping people rehearse for large moments in their life. Mm-hmm. Um, in the first episode, he helps a man confess to a... Uh, a, a friend of his that he does not in fact have a master's degree and has been lying about having a master's degree for the better part of a decade um and then in the second episode through the end of the show he helps a woman Yeesh, yeah. uh, d- d- decide if uh you have she a pretty be a mother What's that's that? a pretty loose definition of the word yeah, help so we're playing fast yeah. and loose you're kind of swinging yeah. that one around <laughs> yeah um I put a question mark on the end. <laughs> uh, uh, decide if, if mother her, motherhood is right for her by moving her to the middle of Oregon and uh, replacing a child every four hours and having the child age from zero to 18 years over the course of three months. And that's kind of the show. Um, it's like as absurd as it sounds, you describing it is like what it feels like watching it but in the best possible way yeah it's uh it's weird because i always like i always start these episodes and i go what did you think about the rehearsal but i think i'm going to change the opening question to what is the rehearsal yeah (laughs) that's fair i think our Uh, guest should go first yeah oh good thank you um man what it's I, I did not prepare on what is the rehearsal. I listened to the other episodes. I thought you'd have that covered. Um, yeah, I mean, it is like a reality show, but also it's it's a way to examine like the power dynamics within a reality show while you're doing one. Um, it's, I don't know. The The best tweet I, I've seen about it is that it's it's sort of like asking questions that people asked about Nathan for you. And so, like, mm-hmm. he's engaging with his, his previous work in a way. Uh, and, and the tweet said, it's like robbing a bank to investigate why you used to rob 7-Elevens. <laughs> oh, interesting. I like that. And, like, yeah. I just haven't stopped thinking about that in the weeks and weeks that, that I've seen. It was an Alec Robbins tweet, which uh, okay. is, is a good source because he used to work at the production company that did Tim and Eric and I think also worked on Nathan For You for a little bit. Okay. Yeah, uh, so Nathan For You, his previous show was him, like, helping struggling businesses <laughs> that, that a lot of clearer. question marks on the on how helpful uh, <laughs> yeah. what he did was that's the base premise of that i know the finale the series finale was a lot different and then there, he did stuff like um the the magic trick before he exposed himself oh, to children God. yeah um, <laughs> thing uh but yeah so the base premise that of the, at least what i saw is that he would help like struggling businesses kind of 
get their name out there, but the ideas were very out there. Yeah. Like, they weren't just bad ideas. I mean, they were bad ideas, but they were also ideas that were so insane and went so many levels deep that Mm -hmm. the, the, the point of the show was almost seeing how far that these business owners would let him go with this sort of stuff. Exactly. Yes. And then, and then I think as the show developed, it became, it almost transitioned to, to more like how far can Nathan take this idea, which Mm -hmm. is then what we see way more in the rehearsal. Yeah. And so the rehearsal is like, it almost does feel like the natural progression of Nathan. Oh, absolutely. Like Mm -hmm. he was on this, this track, from the certainly from the end of Nathan for you, I haven't seen Finding Francis, but oh, my to. understanding I haven't is, either. What my understanding is that <laughs> you can trace a direct line from Finding Francis to the rehearsal. And a like, thousand percent. It, it almost doesn't break the continuity like that much. Like this is just the natural progression of what he was doing by the end of that that show. Um, so Missy, you've seen Finding Francis then? Yeah, tonally it really. I mean, the show itself, kind of like you guys were saying, really feels like a natural progression going into the rehearsal um just kind of like the absurdity like you guys were saying of of how far people will let somebody go if you say something with enough authority uh and also throw in that little sprinkle of like you might also get fame with it um and this kind of reminds me of what we were talking about with nope where it's like things have gotten so blurred between reality and a spectacle because everybody can be famous and all this shit so it's like just seeing how far they would let things go and then that just naturally transitioning into this uh, kind of a similar thing. I mean, because this is even more expansive in, in what he's willing to do, uh, especially with like the little kids getting switched out, like you said, every four hours. Uh, it, it just it felt like it because he has to keep getting bigger and bigger and bigger with the stuff he's doing. But as far as Finding Francis goes, it was such a tonal shift. Um and I think you would see like little sprinkles of it throughout Nathan for you because he would have moments of, of like poignancy because mm-hmm. the show, man, both shows themselves, it's so confusing sometimes between, is this comedy? Like, should I be laughing? Am I mocking somebody? Like, is he mocking somebody? Is this mean-spirited? Is it actually helpful? And then you'll see, like, the little peaks of humanity in Nathan. And uh, the finale was was really um, a lot more resonant in a way that, like, and, and we'll talk about, it, I guess, with the rehearsal. Some of the episodes were with him where the actors were, like, yelling at him. And you would see kind of the hurt. Mm-hmm. You could see the acknowledgement of what the fuck am I actually doing. Um, it, it really kind of goes more on that note. More so than I'm going to tell you that poop-flavored yogurt is going to sell. Uh, right. Or, like, make a kid sit in a soundproof box while porn actors are, you know, having sex and stuff. So, it, it I don't know. And, and it seems like that would be a big tonal shift from the beginning of Nathan for you into that finale, but it, it somehow works. I don't know how he makes it work. Mm-hmm. It's like magic, but he makes it work. And somehow it seems like a natural progression. And I'm, I'm sure that was all over the place, but that's kind of how it feels like watching some of his stuff where it's like, I don't even know what to feel or think, but it makes sense. Yeah. And I like it. I think that one thing I got into Nathan for you because I just saw clips of it online, like on YouTube, Comedy Central mm-hmm. post clips of their show. And the, the one I was going to reference is the same one you said, Missy, about like, hey, this guy tried to make a business, make poop flavored ice cream, like yogurt. Right. Like this is this is crazy. But then the once you actually start watching the episodes, you realize that there is an actual character behind Nathan. Like Nathan is playing right. a character on the show. And there's like this underlying, almost like C plot narrative of him developing as a character over the course of the four seasons of that show that mm-hmm. it's like really subtle and in the background, except for some moments it, it comes to the surface, but then this yes. show takes the rehearsal takes all of that away. 
and like by the time you get to episode two or three this character version of nathan is the show Mm -hmm. yeah it's 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 weird right so he's he's notoriously like pretty private um like i think a lot of people didn't know he was married for a long time yeah Um, i don't know how long he was married i think he's he's he said he was married briefly but in some episodes of nathan for you he's wearing a wedding ring and then later on he's not and so that's that's how people found out he was married slash divorced right Mm -hmm. um and then there's that do you guys know that av club interview you know what i'm talking about no. I feel like I saw so it going a, around. I don't remember. There's this the AB Club interview where um, uh, one of the AB Club podcasts, one of the hosts brought his mom on to talk about Nathan for you, and she didn't like it. So then Nathan Fielder was going to do press for something else and uh, was going to get interviewed by the AV Club and then requested that the mom conduct the interview. <laughs> Fabulous. <laughs> Which is the most Nathan free, Nathan oh, yeah. Fielder thing ever. So the interview is actually with this dude's mom, with the, the, the guy who was supposed to interview him moderating this conversation between him and his mom. And she basically was like, I don't know who you are. Like, I don't know anything about you. Like, I know who you are on the show is that a character is that you, like, what, what, who is Nathan Fielder? And he basically was like, I am a character on the show, but the character is also me. And so it's like me turned up to 11. So like the same insecurities that I showed, the same like, you know, things that I like find funny are like, they're all there, but I'm amplifying them because you by default do that by being in front of the camera. And then his whole thing is like interrogating what causes people to do that. And like, what mm-hmm. is like it, it's it, it almost feels like he knows he is broken and wants to just make sure everyone else is broken in the same way thus sort of absolving him from his own brokenness mm-hmm. and that's where like the rehearsal particularly in episodes two through six right so episodes two through six follow this sort of through line of the fake family of this woman named angela who's trying to decide if she should be become a mother um, and if it's for her or not. And at the end of episode two, Nathan decides to become the father in this fake home. Um, mm-hmm. Not like, I want to say not in a weird way, but it's pretty weird. But Ex- like, like almost explicitly in a weird way. <laughs> like, yeah. yeah, 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 yeah. Not weirder but than the, the show is, which is already weird. Right. Not not weird in like he's trying to force her into like a romantic relationship with him, et cetera, et cetera. Like they're sleeping in separate rooms, so they're they're simulating it up to a point, right? Mm-hmm. Right. And then, because um, the goal was th- for her to find a partner, and then when yes. when they he, they can't find a partner for her to co-parent with or build a relationship with, he says, "Well, I'll just do that because I also, yeah. as the character of Nathan, I would also like to experience fatherhood." Right, Mm -hmm. but then by the very nature of him inserting himself into it, he's sort of breaking the rule of him being this kind of objective third party helping them through these things. And he he tries to, like, stage other rehearsals for other people. Like, there's the guy whose grandpa died Mm -hmm. um, that just kind of ghosts him halfway through. But it starts to unravel really, that part of it starts to unravel really quickly. And so then he has to, like, damage control that. And then by the end, it just, like, is off the rails for him. Like, he is completely lost within this world he's created. And, like, 
not that he's gone crazy. Like, he's always very aware of, like, the rehearsal happening and that he is the sort of mastermind around it. But he's now having to ask himself questions about, like, at what cost he has done this. Yeah. And the larger question, I think, of the show is at what cost are we doing this to everyone? By which I mean, like, at what cost are we as a society in the in the, the 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 age where anyone can be famous i talked about this on the nope episode too it's almost meta that we're de- even doing a podcast I know. on it um like at what cost for quote fame um or recognition or validation in the public eye are we putting ourselves through like what's it costing us individually and societally and so I, d- I don't know that it has clean answers, and I don't know that it has a clean... I don't know that there is a clean no. answer. But what... It's, I it, mean, what did you guys think about that aspect of the rehearsal? Because I think that's the most major thing that happens in the show. I mean, it's hard to find a clean answer because it's doing what it's condemning. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Like, the show, the show goes so far out of its way, especially in the final episode, to be like, this entire thing was wrong. This whole thing was a mess. It was a bad idea and it hurt people the entire way through. And then like I every time I, I've watched the, the last episode twice now, which is probably twice too many, honestly. <laughs> um and like both times I just couldn't stop thinking, why would you put this in the show? Yeah. Like you mm-hmm. did this and then you put it on TV so that we can see it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I I can't imagine being in the headspace to both put this together and live through it and then package it into a product that people can consume and like see and think about and experience. Yeah. yeah. Go ahead, Nessie. No, it's, I, I agree. It's man, I, between him putting it up there. And then I was just, I think watching the finale, I was just mad at that little boy's mom the whole time. I was like, why, Dude. why are you complaining about doing this when you've put your child into this situation and then even remotely trying to passive aggressively pass the blame off onto Nathan? But that's a whole other conversation. Um, but yeah. no, it's... Well, so to kind of explain that, if, if yeah. you haven't seen it, like, you just have to watch the show more than anything else, and not just because we spoil everything on the show. But, like, so the the last episode is sort of kind of wrapping up the, the this experiment. And he there's this six-year-old boy named Remy, um, who is one of the child actors, but he kind of gets lost in the reality of it uh, because he's a six-year-old boy. And because and, by the end, Angela's left. So it's right, just Nathan. So, so it's just Nathan, yeah. So Angela leaves at the end of episode five. And she was the one the rehearsal was supposed to be for originally. Mm-hmm. And so Nathan is like, well, I'm going to play this out because I still want to know if fatherhood would be something I want. And so he's, you know, doing the every four hours thing, every two weeks, the child ages three years. And so there's this six-year-old that he, like, bonds with, like, within the context of the rehearsal. But he also is, like, kind of bonding with the kid because it's a reality show at a certain degree, right? Right. And so the kid's calling him daddy. The kid doesn't want to leave. And then we find out that the kid is from a single-parent household where he doesn't have a father in the picture. And so he sort of imprinted this idea of, like, who his dad is onto Nathan and now thinks Nathan is his father or at least a father figure. And so this forces Nathan to kind of wrestle with the ethics of what he's doing which is something we had been doing as an audience since the beginning 
Mm-hmm. And so the the sixth episode is really about him wrestling with like ultimately was this right morally, um, which it wasn't. And now and he's like is it the, possible to fix this? And right. is it possible to fix this? So then he starts running through every layer of rehearsal with mm-hmm. other actors to see if there was another way he could have gone about doing this without kind of like. He, his whole question that whole episode is like, did I ruin this kid's life? Right. Um, and the mom at the same time is like, she's like weirdly nonchalant, but weirdly mad at the same it's, time. It's passive like, aggressive. Yes. Yeah. She's very pointed, but in like, oh, but you know, it's whatever. You didn't really do anything. It's, you know, he'll be yeah, fine. She says, I don't, I don't think anybody did anything wrong. It's just like a weird thing for this kid to experience. But yeah, she signed the kid up and Nathan yep. did it to the, so like somebody has to be responsible in this. Exactly. Yeah. Well, and, and yeah. And that's the, the ultimate question he's getting at is like, is this my fault? And like, mm-hmm. it kind of is. Yeah. But at the same time, like I feel like someone should have, cause I was thinking about this too, about child actors in not just in general, but in the context of this rehearsal, mm-hmm. I was, I had thought like, what if one of these kids doesn't have a family or doesn't have a dad or whatever, like, how does a child, like, you know, as young as four or six or whatever, understand that difference? Right. And Nathan talks to the mom and is like, do you think he understands acting? And she's like, I'm not sure. And I was like, well, then, okay, so you were signing your child up just to make money off of him. Right. That was Mm -hmm. the whole point. I get it. You're a struggling single mother and it's hard out there, but like, you don't under, you're not like a, you're not even a stage mom. You're just like a mom who's on opportunity. Mm Mm-hmm. There yeah, are other, there are other places where he has to like call all the parents. There, yeah, there's multiple scenes of him calling every single parent if they're going to make a change or to like approve something. Right. Like Angela wants to do like aromatherapy with like essential oils, so he has to call every single parent and get approval to have like essential oils like rubbed on their kids' feet or something like that. Um, so like there are places where you feel like he is doing his best to make sure everything's above board and like the parents are okay with it, but what he's doing is is going so deep that you can't account for all of these things. And then it shows up in this one specific case with this kid. I mean, who knows how many other cases could have, could have happened like this. He just focuses on the one. Right. Well, and it's like, that's like the culmination of the whole show, right? Is this yeah. idea of I can be in control. If I just try to like tweak things hard enough, I can control your response to what I'm saying right now. I can control, you know, people listening to this. I can control how this child's going to react to me. And mm-hmm. it's it's interesting, especially because I've been reading a lot about like codependency lately and, and this idea because most people just think codependent like I just need to be around you. But a lot of codependency is a need and a desire to control like somebody's reaction and emotions, which is the premise of this show. And so after trying to help people, quote unquote, I didn't say it as well as you did, MJ, help, help, trying to help <laughs> people um, for this entire you know run of the show, it, it's like blowing up in his face. Like, is it helping? No. I mean, it, is the family got money. But this poor child who has no notion of what a father is, is now potentially screwed up. And it's, yeah, it's just, uh, it kind of goes back to that first, like, what is it? It's like, I don't know. It's like kind of a funhouse mirror look at us, but also a very clear mirror because this is shit that we do all the time. And I don't even see, I, again, I don't even know where I'm going with it because it's like so many thoughts are swirling in my brain right now. Just trying to like, I don't know, vocalize or verbalize what it is, but I do think that last episode is such a good culmination of what we've been seeing the whole time, which is I'm trying to quote unquote help you. And is it actually helping or is it all going to blow up in my face and yours and everybody else's? 
Yeah, I mean, that last episode, I think we're going to camp out on a lot because it's kind of the Rosetta Stone for the whole series. Right. Mm -hmm. And, like, it, it, you know, whatever happens in between that ultimately culminates with that final episode and particularly the final moments where he he goes to visit this kid one last time and the mom kind of see is like he's all right like he i think he's kind of broken from that um that idea you know he calls him nathan when he comes in instead of daddy um but he brings the kid who's playing the nine-year-old version with him and then you Mm -hmm. find out that the reason he brought the kid is so that he could essentially character study the six-year-old kid I mean, and yeah, it, it's uh, so twisted right here. I mean, yeah. I at, at the at the beginning of this scene, I just think like, oh, he's still he's still doing the show, and so like right. he has the nine-year-old version of Adam come in and like, hey, you know what? They're like having a play date, and then the parents are going to go talk, and like that's actually like kind of a normal thing to to yeah. happen at this point in the mm-hmm. show. Like that that actually sort of tracks, and then they can deal with the the real issues going on with the six-year-old kid. Um, but then like the turning point, it's almost like, like a twist in like a horror movie or something yeah. when he's asking her how she like knows that, that Remy's yeah. going to be okay. And then he looks at her and he asks, where did you get that sweater? And yeah. you realize, yeah. no, no. Like the bottom completely drops out and you feel like yeah. your heart sink and you're like, he's not just going to get over it. He's going to do like this twisted shit. And like Again. keep the facade of the show going, like oh yeah. my! And then they get in the car, and he asks the kid, "Did you get enough?" And you're like, "Oh my god! Like what? What? Ah! I was yeah, losing my so, mind!" Like yeah, I didn't. Yeah. It didn't click with me about the sweater thing. Like I was just like, "Why did he ask her that?" Like I didn't even think about it because it was uh-huh. such. A, the preceding moment is so honest. To mm-hmm. like, you know, she has this line like really made me tear up, and like I'm getting choked up thinking about it. Where she's he, where he says like. How do, what did you see in his face that made you know he would be okay? And she said, myself. Right. And I was like, oh, man, that's such a good, like, I really like that. And I was like, mm-hmm. what a great way to end this show. And then he asked where she got the yep. the, the No, the I knew he was about to go back into it when he asked about the sweater. Yeah, but most I didn't, people did. I didn't realize how deep it went. Man. But yeah. I didn't realize how deep it went until he asked the kid, did you get enough? And it was like, yeah. oh, mm-hmm. no. It, yeah. Like, he's going to, like, somehow... After all of this, he's going to get another child actor to reenact the trauma that he just put this other child actor through. Like, yeah. that's how twisted and deep this show goes. And, oh, man. Yeah. It's a... Uh, that last episode is tough. And uh, it was funny. Like you said, like, you uh, you don't know whether to laugh or what to do at certain points, especially if you don't mm-hmm. really have a lot of context with it. Because my wife watched the back half of episode six with me and she was laughing at points where I was like tearing up or like my jaw right. was on the floor. And yeah. she was she was like, Are you crying? And I was like, Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and uh like is she it, like during that last monologue when she's when he's talking to Adam slash Remy slash that child actor, like right before he says I'm your daddy or whatever, mm-hmm. he he like he's trying to work through Amber, who's the mom of the kid who kind of thinks that Nathan's his dad. He's trying to work through her headspace, and but he's, he's not even doing scene. a good job. He's yeah. completely projecting what he wants to feel in that moment. Yeah, onto well, the nine-year-old who's playing the six-year-old. Like he's not even really trying to be her. He's trying to be himself, which is which is the turn the turn that happens in like the last three lines or whatever. Yes. Well, I think he acknowledges that earlier too. I think when um, he wanted the kid to get bullied. And then have like a, a heart-to-heart talk with him or whatever, mm-hmm. and and he's like, "How much of this is even 
you know, practice because I'm orchestrating everything. Yeah. He said, I'm solving a puzzle I designed. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Which is, that was a good line. I liked that. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. But that's, I mean, that's what it felt like again in that last episode. And then I'm thinking also of the one where he had the acting students and then he started, you know, living the life of one of his acting students Dude. and how freaking <laughs> that actually, that that's actually my favorite part of the show. It was, yeah. no, it was so good, but it's And like, I think that that's, you said, MJ said earlier that the final episode's like the Rosetta Stone. I actually think it's the acting clinic. Okay. I, I can, yeah, I can see an argument for both. But yeah, it's, I mean, it's part of what makes it so good. I mean, it can be maddening. So I would say be in a good headspace so that you don't, you know, want to go, I don't know, drink or kill yourself or something while watching it because it <laughs> will just get layer upon layer upon layer. Yeah. And then you open, or I think, it, what is it in uh, Knives Out where Daniel Craig's talking about like a donut and there's like a donut hole within a donut <laughs> yeah. hole and then donut hole within that. And it's yeah. like, that's, that's what this show feels like where you keep thinking, okay, surely you can't be doing anything more. And he's like, yes, I can. And don't call me surely. And then it's like, yeah. now I'm a mom. It's, yeah, it's wild. Yeah, I mean, and the way he even brings in elements from the first episode, right? So, like, he in the first episode, yes. it takes place in New York, and he builds this, like, two-the-key replica bar of the bar that this guy's going to go play trivia in. But then when he moves the show to Oregon, uh, he brings it with him and then turns that into a functioning bar. Which he only moves to Oregon because that's where Angela's dream house is. So he has to move the entire production of the show to Oregon to meet the demands of her rehearsal. Can we talk about Angela for a second? Yes, we can. (laughs) I feel like we haven't done her justice. I don't even know if she deserves it. Yeah, so the thing about Angela is that she is, she's kind of who the show hinges on from episodes two through five. And... She's the one who's like, they get her this house that she wants off the grid because babies' heads absorb Wi-Fi easier. Um, <laughs> the skulls so aren't can... fully formed, MJ. Come <laughs> yeah, on. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and she's this like hyper devout Christian woman who, like, subscribes to a lot of ideas of like aromatherapy, like essential oil, like very holistic, um, like uh, uh, medical treatments and. Everything is the, the devil, um, unless she deems it otherwise. And, you know, very, very, very into her faith, whatever that is. <laughs> um, She's and, like so many white girls I knew from high school who yeah. got married right out and then started to have to get like the pyramid scheme selling essential oils. Like, so if you know anybody yeah. like that, that's Angela, but she's like amplified just like Nathan. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and so, so she you know there's she's like really into this this holistic idea but she's willing to do the rehearsal for some reason like i don't understand mm-hmm. why she agreed to do that um at all but she agrees and she she goes to oregon and they start doing all this and it's it's that's where the reality part really starts to set in of like the traditional reality show thing because they have the hidden cameras in the house she's essentially supposed to go about her day and her business as planned mm-hmm. um but really only starts doing it when nathan's around and like kind of just hangs out and breaks character all the time with the kids that's revealed uh, more towards the end yes mm-hmm. yes that's the 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 thing that he confronts her about that forces her to leave um and yeah she's she's something else man she's i the 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 real people in this show are the the they're the beating heart of the show but they also will say the craziest thing anyone could possibly say Mm -hmm. in relation to a question nathan asks them 
Well, that was the joy of Nathan for you is that he comes into a business with some insane idea. And the mm-hmm. best episodes were always the one where like the business owners would somehow one up him and do something right. even crazier or like, like take the, it further somehow. The guy drinking his grandkids pee. Yeah, exactly. You could see in that episode that Nathan breaks character because he was not expecting that guy to say it. And it's something that you cannot deal with in a normal conversation. <laughs> Yeah. And so, you know, one of the my favorite tweets I saw was like, it's just a lot of the show is him asking a normal question and then getting an, the most insane response someone could say in regards to that question. And then him just going, oh, OK, like he just he does that all the time. Like Angela or the guy that she thinks might be the co-parent with her, this guy named Robin, uh, they're insane. They're insane people. And because he has to be this sort of, like, objective third party, Nathan just has to roll with everything. But you can tell in moments, especially with Robin, that he's, like, really worried about his safety. (laughs) Uh, But did you have a point you wanted to make about Angela, Missy? No, it's just, like, I think we just mentioned her. And I'm like, there's just so much to unwrap and unpack with that woman. And and she was such, like, a... I don't know. It's interesting to me because Angela, usually like with these people that Nathan's quote unquote helping, um, they can sometimes be like an audience placeholder. Like they're also incredulous that somebody is saying you should sell shit flavored yogurt. Uh, But she was so fucking off the wall that it's like, I don't even know what normal is because this is already a weird premise. And then you're just this insane person. Although I'm sure we all know an Angela in our life. To the point that it's, uh, and I was thinking about this earlier when you were talking about it, it's almost like Remy is like us as an audience. Because it's like, is this real? Like, what what part of this is actually real? Like, I don't think you're my Mm -hmm. dad, but you are my dad. So it's like, is this like a reality show? Like, I don't know. So she's just, she's so interesting to me. Um, Apart from the fact that she says weird shit, like, uh, what was it? Eating feces is uh, a satanic satanic ritual. Yeah, that was my favorite Angela moment where Remy Remy and Nathan make this little short movie where Remy is like... A doctor. He's a doctor named Dr. (laughs) Fart. Fart. And (laughs) and Nathan has cancer. And the only way Nathan can cure his cancer is by eating Dr. Fart's poop, which is like a melted candy bar. Yeah. And then Angela like blows Nathan up about that. And she's like, you pretended to eat feces. And he was like, yeah, I pretended. He riffed it. I went along with it. Oh, yeah. Yeah. That's so good. That's my favorite line of the whole show (laughs) is when he says he riffed it. The way he delivers that line is so, like, broken comedian brain. Yeah. Uh, It's comedy. You have to keep building on comedy. Yeah. yeah, Makes sense. And then she's like, well, eating feces is a satanic ritual. And he's like, what's not a satanic ritual to you? Like, he finally He finally hits his breaking point with her. Because the... Third episode starts with him in like Halloween costumes yep. with the kid because right. it's about to be Halloween, and she's like, "Oh, well, Halloween satanic," and he's like, "It's what?" Like, yeah. he's like, "I honestly thought it was just like getting candy because that's what it is for ninety nine percent of the world, you know?" Like, yeah, I mean, I don't want to talk about like pagan origins of Halloween or whatever, but like, it's been diluted to where that's not what Halloween's about for the vast majority of people nowadays, and so. Like, she just immediately shuts it down. And he's like, I'm just, it's a child. Like, right. I'm just, I'm just having fun with a kid, man. Like, that's it. You know, because I feel like, show me a six-year-old who wouldn't come up with Dr. Fart. They don't exist. Yeah. yeah totally. Yeah. I'm not, 
I'm not here to be like an Angela defender. Sure. I'm not because no, no, I'm no, so no, excited. I think, no, no. I'm excited well, to hear what you have it, to say. I think that Angela, I find her very annoying on the show, which is sort <laughs> of the point. Like I, I don't really enjoy watching her that much. Um, I do think, especially on rewatch, that she's placed into a completely impossible situation, though. Yes, yes, absolutely. I that, agree like, with that. No, normal or not, crazy or not, satanic or not, I don't think any person could handle this in any sort of way. Like, because of the way that he steps in to fill the role of, like, the partner, it was specifically, there's there's a, a moment in the first half of the show where part of what she wants is to be, like, a homesteader and live off the land, and she wants, like, this mm-hmm. garden and stuff. And there are a couple scenes where she's telling Nathan, like, how to run the garden and how to, like, get their little home farm set up. And then you see shots of him, like, out there working on it and stuff. But I think, like, what I realize is missing in between those, and I, it, she's portrayed sort of badly where she's in inside drinking coffee or playing with the kid and he's out like tilling the earth and yeah actually doing the work and stuff but what i i realized like you're missing in those conversations is is she asking for this stuff because he's the executive producer and that he's orchestrating the rehearsal or is she asking this because this is her expectation of what a partner would do right. i think because and of I, her faith it's because it's i think her faith is very hyper complementarian well, right well i mean i i definitely think it could totally be that as well and I think that they probably didn't have a conversation very often where they're clarifying, am I doing this as your partner? Or am I doing this as the executive producer? Like, that's mm-hmm. the whole conceit of why he steps into the show and does that. Like, that's what makes the mm-hmm. show what it is. And so I'm not saying that that's, like, good or bad. Like, that's that's just what the show is. But right. I think that having that interaction and, like, that sort of power dynamic is what makes the show so complicated. Yeah, and I think you bring up a good point that it... Um... I, and I was probably too harsh on Angela at first because it is easy to when somebody's like eating a child's poop is satanic. Uh, and then I think Nathan even makes the joke. I could go to the store and buy oranges and come back and you would tell me it was like satanic or something. Yeah, it, that's when he says to... you need to make me a list of everything that's right. satanic just so I know what to watch out for. <laughs> so it's like it's it's easy to laugh at that. But towards the end, um, and I'm thinking especially the episode where he wants to start raising their son, uh, quote unquote, like uh, at the Jewish mm. school. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's like some of the points she was bringing up, I thought were valid, which ultimately leads into her biggest like complaint with him. But when, I mean, so when he's talking about like, we, we should have them celebrate, you know, Christmas and Hanukkah or something. And he's like, what if, you know, your, your spouse was like this? And she's like, but they wouldn't be. And I was like, I actually thought that was a fair complaint because I mean, at the end of the day, he is just a stand in actor pretending or, you know, helping co-parent, but she would be able to choose her spouse and make sure that these deal breakers were, you know, adhered to, but it kind of was portrayed in a way that it seemed like she was being unfair. But then at the end, before she leaves, when she's just like, I, I didn't know how to prepare for this. Like, I didn't know what to do. And so uh, I, I agree with you, Adam. I think that is a fair point to bring up, that as easy as it is to poke at her weird spots, it's like, at the end of the day, also, what the fuck was she supposed to do? Like, how, how yeah. do you prep for that? How do you know how to handle these kind of things? Let alone somebody, like, just that situation, but then throw Nathan Fielder into the mix, who's already just, like his own fucking little species of person. (laughs) And that's where I I think that the, the acting clinic, that's part of why I like the acting clinic stuff so much is because that entire thing is like, what happens in that one is that he starts something called the fielder method because he needs to have more and more actors to keep doing these really elaborate rehearsals. And so he starts an acting program to teach actors how to do rehearsal level productions by like copying people and, and becoming the characters that they're playing and then to to do that and to experience it as a student, he starts becoming one of the students in his first round of classes of the mm-hmm. Fielder method. Yeah. And 
And then the the, the, the the turn is that he realizes, as Nathan, as the, the leader of the acting clinic, he realizes that the student that he's embodying is not comfortable with the methods of the Fielder method. So he restarts and does like a third round of students yeah. so that he can do a second run playing his his student. But he decides to, to try again, starting from the, the premise that he is uncomfortable with the process. And I think in that one, like... What's so weird about that is that one pulls back so many layers on like the character of Nathan because as he's pretending to be this student who's uncomfortable with the process, he's also like complimenting the fake Nathan on what a great job he's doing and how much yeah. he loves being on camera. And so like he's interrogating the power dynamics of like this guy has a show and he's pointing a camera at me and I want to make him happy, but also I'm not really on board with what this whole thing is like that's where the the meta quality and the power dynamics like reaches just a fever pitch for me. And I, I think yeah. that's, that's the most interesting part of the show in my mind. Plus he has that heinous wig, which is great, but <laughs> yeah, really, really great wig. <laughs> no, yeah. it is that, that episode was so, so good. Oh, that episode is great. When he, when I saw that it was building to, I'm going to secretly live in this dude's apartment. For yes. Oh, I was like, should I keep watching this? Like I, it, it felt so invasive and gross. Voyeuristic. Well, that's yeah. that's what it feels wrong there. Yeah. I mean, there's other there's other parts that are weird. He's weird in the first. The first episode is just like a primer. This is how yeah. a rehearsal will work, and yeah. then he does bigger, weirder rehearsals yeah. after that. And I, I think the, I mean, the first episode's great. It's like a perfect forty minutes of TV. I love yeah. it. Uh, and then it's not that I was disappointed that the show was something different, but it's very different from just the first episode. Yeah. But like that fourth episode where he takes the guy's keys, he's like, yeah, you know, and I'll water your plants. And then he lives yeah. his life secretly. That's the turning point where you're like, wait, this whole thing is fucked up. Like, this is yeah. wrong. Yeah. This whole thing is wrong. I don't even need to get to like this kid accident. I accidentally imprinted my fatherhood onto this child actor who right. doesn't understand he's a child. Yeah. Like, yeah, that's wrong. But even before that, we see the thing where he's like mm -hmm. living in another person's skin. Like yeah. And yeah. That's, that's why I think that that's the Rosetta stone was like, this is when he goes too far. This is yeah. when it becomes wrong and creepy and everything else after this, we shouldn't be on board with already. Yeah, yeah, and that was the thing, right? Is so like the first the first two episodes came out and some people were like, This seems really gross. Like some critics were like, This seems pretty manipulative and like exploitative and I don't know about this and a lot of defenders were like, well, you're not entirely wrong on that, but I think that's a feature, not a bug. I think he's interrogating what the nature of exploitation and manipulation is. And then this episode happened and everyone who was talking about that in regards to the people who originally said it was unethical. We're like, oh no, this is super unethical. Like this is not the show we sign up yeah. for. This is like wrong, actually wrong. And then the sixth episode is like, hey, this was super wrong, right? And like, Forces yeah, it yeah. kind of back on, like, yes, it's Nathan interrogating that about himself and coming to the realization, like, oh, I probably went too far. But it also forces it back on us, the audience, to be like, hey, you watched all six of these. Yeah, like religiously. So, yeah. Here, here's something that we haven't addressed yet. This show got a second season. I know. <laughs> yeah. What, yeah. What is gonna? What's and happening I'm here? Watch it all. Yeah. <laughs> what is he gonna? What is he gonna do? How yeah, do you make a know. second season of? This? You just laid down that this show is deeply wrong and troubled, right. and that we should feel bad for watching it. <clears throat> yeah. How? Like even even if we take away from like the moral and like the commentary that the show is giving, like 
what do you do in a second season to escalate, to, to, to deserve having a second season of this? Where do you take this? And then how am I supposed to feel about watching more of this? Yeah, well, the poster is bad vibes. Like, the poster for season two is him standing on a soundstage with a woman looking very distraught on a bed behind him. Like, is it a model or an actual person? I forget. Oh, is it? I don't remember. I thought I remember it was, a, it I thought it was a, a, a mannequin. Like the robot people in the other poster. Oh. No, it's a real woman. Sorry. Yeah, that's okay. really bad. <laughs> that's rough. <laughs> but like, I'm interested. You know what I mean? Like, which, what does that well, say it, about me? I was going to say, it's like with, if anybody's going to get the like, how could you possibly make it bigger? Like, it's Nathan Fielder. Like, I, I have mm-hmm. no doubt that he will find some way to make something bigger, crazier, or whatever. And I hate that I'm saying that, and I hate that I'm going to probably religiously watch the second season. Yeah, I'm going to watch it. Yeah, and I'm, and I'm probably going to really enjoy it and talk about it. We'll do another podcast on it. Because it's like, as somebody who, especially, again, I know this keeps tying into the Nope episode, we're almost complaining about how big spectacle has become and everything needs to be bigger, louder, brighter right now. And that's kind of what I'm craving to see how far he can push himself and humanity and us and what we're willing to watch. Cause yeah, it did feel very voyeuristic. And I don't know how much you guys have looked into even like Nathan for you with some of the people he worked with and some of their responses once the show aired. So like, um, there's an episode where he, he takes over a guy's life, right? He gets like a prosthetic suit. Um, I don't oh, know, to become I'm a assuming. hero or whatever. Yeah. To like tightrope yeah. walk. Um, that's such a great episode though. It like, is. It's a like, I know it's episode. weird, but, and that's the closest thing to the rehearsal, except for, I guess, finding right. Francis that, that Nathan for you gets. Yeah. And, and no, and it's, a, it is a good episode and I agree. It's, it's definitely the closest I think to, um, the rehearsal, but I was reading an interview with, uh, at one point he tries to get this guy a girlfriend. Right. And so this woman comes on the show and is going to give the actual guy a kiss once Nathan does the tightrope walk. So there's an interview with this lady and like she thought she or she was told, not thought, that she was like auditioning for like an MTV dating show. And that's what she thought she was going on. And then when it aired, she was like, I was embarrassed. Like, I kind of felt like I was being made a fool. And so keeping like, I I don't know how frequently that's happening with these people, obviously. um, So it seems like he course corrected that with the rehearsal. Um, I've read an interview with Robin, the crazy Uh guy from season two episode two and an interview with angela and both of them were like i wish they would have put x in this show but i don't think i was unfairly represented uh or that well that's helpful at least yeah like angela was like i like the way the show came out like she she i read an interview with her the the day of the finale and she was like i ultimately liked where everything ended up so okay yeah it seems like he was more transparent about that um it seemed like she was really herself on the show yeah. Like, yeah, I think all of the issues that that we say that we might have with Angela as a person, like she would just own it, and like that's yeah. just who she is. And so, I yeah, that makes. But sense. But I think of like the actor whose home he moved into, and it's like, did he know that was happening? Like how, like yeah. so that. Yeah, kind I mean, he's he's, he's going to have to sign a release at some point, right? So. But even oh my gosh, even Nathan portraying him when he's like he just signed the paperwork, as most of us do when we quote unquote read through the terms and conditions. Mm-hmm. It's like at the end of the day, if you're also a working actor in Hollywood and you're being offered a chance to be on this HBO show, which he acknowledges, it's like how closely are you actually well, listening that, to, reading, paying attention to, like all the details? Yeah, that's actually one of my favorite bits of dialogue in the whole show because I just uh-huh. I just watched that uh, that episode this morning. Yeah, um, he's doing. <sighs> 
let me see how I can phrase this. This is when he, Nathan, is playing this actor named Thomas. Mm-hmm. And it's on the second round of portraying Thomas where he's trying to, to portray him as being skeptical. This is when he's playing Thomas as, as skeptical right. of the whole process. And so all of his, his narration over this scene is trying to show us what he thinks Thomas is thinking, which, again, is total projection of the character Nathan into this person, which is what he does in the last episode with the mom. Mm-hmm. Um, but he says, like, so he says that he's making a TV show but it's weird that he would like he needs actors for this TV show. And so like is this a show about an acting class? If this is a show about like a if he's making a show, he wouldn't be filming the training of the actors. So like is right. this part of the show? And like he obviously knows that, but he's pretending to be this person and trying to like create these layers of, mm-hmm. of what he's thinking about and like getting into the facade of like what actually is happening here. Like the character is so close, the, like the character of a character that he's playing is so close to cracking the facade of the show that mm-hmm. it gets really weird to watch. Yeah. Oh, golly. Yeah. The show is the, 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 I mean, yes, all that, but I, I mean, he, he ends up working at the alligator lounge, right? Like, or the lizard, what's it yeah, called? Yeah. Well, that guy uh, shows up twice at the end of that episode is the yeah. one where they accept, they, they have the actor at playing Adam pretend to like OD. He's one oh, of the yeah. paramedics who oh, brings yeah. the kid out. Oh, and then in he? the next step. Yeah. Okay. All of the all the paramedics were people from the acting class in the same episode. And then after that, in episode five, he is working at the, the, the Lizard Lounge after Nathan gets the liquor license to run it as a real bar. Yeah. And so is the lady who yells at him in that episode. She's the bartender. Oh, that was so Yeah, good. she's the bartender. Yeah. That That's the lady, other best scene in the show. Yeah. Fake Angela, um, who, what's funny is she's also on this show called This Fool, which is on Hulu right now. Mm-hmm. And uh, the rehearsal wasn't on her IMDb. So we I watched that hours after I watched oh, wow. the first episode, the first two episodes of This Fool, hours after I watched her episode of the rehearsal with her being fake Angela, mm-hmm. and I was like, "That's fake Angela," and I went on her IMDb, and it wasn't on her IMDb yet, and I was like, I gaslit myself where I was like, "I guess huh? it's not her." Like I felt insane, and then the the day of the le- of the finale, she posted a video that went somewhat viral on Twitter as fake Angela. And uh, I clicked on her Twitter profile and it said she was on the rehearsal and then she was also on This Fool. And I was like, okay, good. I didn't, like, the show, like, ultimately made me question as something else in my reality. Um, Because (laughs) it wasn't listed on her IMDb yet. So I just, like, I was kind of mad about that. Like, (laughs) when I found out, I was just like, I can't believe that the show went so deep that, like, I saw this actor on something else I watched and was like, that's the same actor, didn't see it on her IMDb and was like, I guess that's not the same person. And then it totally was. Yeah. Speaking of uh, fake Angela, that, so that, that scene where she blows up on him and is like, mm-hmm. can you feel something? Like, that's so sad, like, that you just want to feel something. So that happens, like, a, a couple different times in the, if not more, um, in the season like so we have it in the very first episode when he confesses that he helped him cheat with trivia 
Um, and we have that response where it's like, you know, you're going to hell, you're a horrible person. How could you do this? You know what this meant to me. And so I'm curious what you guys think about that, because I mean, obviously it's good television and a lot of us are thinking it. So we're seeing these actors kind of questioning what we're talking about now, which is how moral is it for these kind of things to be occurring? I mean, unless you actually have an answer for it, is he like, do you think like directing them? Like, do you think it's completely improvised from the actors of just act the way that you're going to act? Or is it, uh, not, you know what I mean? No, like, he, you think definitely, he's them? he tells them to do like a bad version. Yeah. You can tell, you can tell it's in the first episode. Uh, I think the place this is clearest is the in the first episode when the guy's confessing that he doesn't have a master's degree, the mm-hmm. actor playing the friend like won't even hear it, refuses to have right. a conversation and says, you, you deceived me. You're a liar. I never want to speak to you again. But right. then all of the other actors who are patrons in the bar are like, oh, whispering, yeah. like, did you hear that guy doesn't even have a master's degree? Right. Like, that's, He's the loser that's of the night That's not what would happen in, in like real life. Yeah. And, and then core gets up and leaves and he walks out of the bar and Nathan like asks him how that felt. And I'm, they don't, they don't say it in the show, but I was like, they definitely did. This is let's do a worst case scenario. Like, yeah, what if she right. hates your guts and never wants to speak to you, and then also somehow everyone in the bar also thinks you're the worst person on the face of the planet? Like, let's do one of those, just to practice how it feels. Yeah, and that, no, that's, that's a what good point. happens at the end of the episode too, because when he confesses that he does, that he cheated on the trivia questions, he only confesses that to the actor playing yeah. core. Yeah, and then there's that right. awesome match cut where it's like, you realize he didn't actually confess to core. But then yeah. you still have to wrestle. Like, he's still wrestling with the fact that Core's going to watch the show and find out that he got, like, incepted into mm-hmm. these answers. And he was, like, really, like, on a high horse about that. So yeah. it's probably going to sting for that dude when he sees that. Like, that's the, I mean, from the get-go, not even knowing where the show's going at that point, it's already raising the, like, well, even though it's low stakes to most of us, it's not to this guy. And so would that, is that bad? You mm-hmm. know, like, is, is that morally wrong? Because it helped him learn something about himself and confess something that he'd been wanting to get off his chest for a long time. And that's ultimately helpful, it seems like. Um, but it came at the cost of, like, essentially violating this very, like, hard moral line he takes with Nathan earlier in the episode. Right. I have two things to say about that. One of them is that at the end of the the scene where fake Angela blows up on him, he like takes a step back and he says, okay, well maybe we should try like a lighter one than that. So I'm pretty Mm -hmm. sure like all of those things are directed, whether we we hear them or not. Yeah. Like how the run through is going to go. She might be improvising all of what happens, but I think the, the, the vibe of the run through, they, they decide beforehand. Mm -hmm. Um, the, the other one about, um, core was that, Nathan, for you, did feel kind of mean sometimes mm. in, in oh, the yeah. way that, that fake Angela criticizes him, where she says, like, is my life the joke? Like, are you going to leave here and, like, go home and laugh about me with your friends? Is my life the joke? Mm-hmm. Um, and that's that is not all the time, but that is how Nathan, for you, felt sometimes. Yeah, for um, sure. And yeah. one thing that I liked, especially when, like, this first wave of, is Nathan for you really manipulative? Is Nathan Fielder a bad guy after the first two episodes aired? And I was like, I, I don't know, because, like, it seems like at the end of the first episode, he really helped Core. Like, mm-hmm. he genuinely helped this guy. But that's probably the last time you can say that in the whole show. Like, we I keep putting he... a question mark on the end of hell. <laughs> yeah, I and, think like, he helped the guy with the dead grandpa. 
it seemed it seemed like it he did, got, okay yeah it, it, did it seem seemed like, like he got too. what he needed out of that like i know he didn't follow through ultimately with his rehearsal for the in front of the cameras but it seemed mm-hmm. like that guy needed a safe space to process the grief of losing his grandfather that's and true yeah he yeah. did um mm-hmm. but then the, the rest of the show is so messed up that like yeah. Cause I was trying to sell people on it and being like, it's like Nathan for you, but like maybe, maybe he's a little more empathy. Like the joke isn't on the people. He's actually going to help them by putting them in these funny situations. And then I don't think that actually, I should have not yeah. recommended the show like that. <laughs> well, it's like, cause it also, <laughs> I did a bad job. How much, and that's why we keep, I mean, we joke about it. Like we're saying help. It's like, how, how much help is it? Even if like the outcome that like core thought that he wanted, like, how much of a help actually is it if it was all, like, fake? I mean, if it's all manipulated, because the friend was manipulated. All these people are just being, it's just manipulated situations. It's not actual help. Like, what's being learned here, except for that if you have a camera crew and millions and millions of dollars at your disposal, you can try to plan out every, like, step of your life. It's Yeah, I, I mean, that's the final monologue he delivers, delivers to fake Remy slash fake Adam slash that nine-year-old actor, right? Where he talks yeah. about, like, maybe we shouldn't have done this. Maybe the whole point of living life is that it's, like, unknowable and, like, beautiful in that unknowability, which right. I think leads into the next episode of this show. We're going to talk about everything everywhere all at once. And, mm. yeah, uh, yeah I, I just think that uh, it, that that ends up becoming the the ultimate thesis of what the show wanted to kind of explore and ultimately lands on but it leaves you devastated because at what cost did he have to come to this conclusion yeah. that I would say, one, a lot of other art has already come to. And mm-hmm. because of that, honestly, a lot of other normal human beings have come to. And I don't want to, you know, armchair diagnose or even like talk shit about Nathan's specific neuroses and, and diagnoses and stuff like that. Like he's clearly got a lot of anxiety, but yeah. um, you know, that that's not a statement on him as a person. That doesn't make him a bad person because he has anxiety. And like, I totally understand the idea, right. As an anxiety sufferer myself and an OCD sufferer of wanting to be in control all right. the time. Mm-hmm. But the fact of the matter is it's not feasible, right? It just right. isn't no matter how much people with those diagnoses want to be in charge um they're not and that's one of the things they have to make peace with and that's what you know i think that's what i speaking personally i think that's one of the reasons why i turned to the art that i turned to and why some of this stuff that is my comfort stuff is my comfort stuff because it's about being about the beauty of the mystery of life and Mm -hmm. that is something that I have to get from an external source. Cause I don't view it that way. <laughs> and, mm. um, you know, uh, I think Nathan is taking that, that neurosis to the, the, the most extreme example of what it would look like if someone like me were in charge. And the thing about it is, I already know that's unethical. Yeah. But Mm -hmm. do I? Because I watched it. Like, if you put me in this situation, I would reject it. I would be like, no, I'm not doing this, right? Like, I would never put someone into this situation on purpose. I don't think... Like, if I had the idea for the rehearsal, I firmly believe that if I would have gotten to probably well, b- the acting school like the the like like we talked about the going into the guy's house 
I think I would have walked. Yeah. Right? Like, I think I would have been like, we're pulling the plug on this. Nathan, I don't know if he commits to the bit and that's what he, he's doing. He like he, that That is the exaggeration of the character or what. But... I just think like I would be like okay I get it like I'm I'm out you know I'm not pushing this any further and Nathan <clears throat> Nathan does and that's very unethical but he doesn't seem like a bad dude you know what I mean like it's this yeah. weird thing where like he does not seem like he's a bad even malintentioned evil person doing this for his own like sadistic game but at the same time like why then is he doing it? Maybe well, that's it, the difference between what feels more positive in the first episode than the rest of it is that all the stuff he does in the first rehearsal is very reactive. Yes. They don't seek to control the, the friend as, as far as I can remember. They control the trivia questions. That's the only mm-hmm. thing they try to implant the, mm-hmm. the answers like we talked about. Mm-hmm. Um, and the, the morality of that is, is up or down depending on how you view it. But like they, they're very reactive. They prepare core for every every response, every circumstance, every situation. Hey, do the pizzas come out early? Do the pizzas come out late? Did she have mm-hmm. a good day at work? Like, how what what what's her vibe? Like, in that sense, it's not so much about control as it is like preparedness, or or maybe just controlling mm-hmm. yourself and your own reaction. So that's like a really reactive version to it. Probably, I think that in this might be a bigger turning point in the show than than we've given credit to is the one you said about the grandfather where mm-hmm. he says, hey, you know what? These rehearsals aren't working because I didn't prepare core for how he would feel in the rehearsal. So I need yeah. to crank this up so that you actually experience the same feelings in the rehearsal that you're going to feel in the same thing. And that's when I think it gets really manipulative. And that's yeah. when it becomes more about control because he, he puts that guy in a situation where he has to replicate the experience with his own grandfather with some stranger. Um. And, you know, like we said, it, it seems like that guy reaches some point of emotional catharsis through that right. experience, but it is about control there. Like that, the first rehearsal is not so much about control. And then suddenly it is from that, from that point yeah, on. Cause he says as much too, right at the end of that episode, he says, I guess you can't engineer human emotions. And it's like, yeah, man, yeah. we all know this. Yeah. <laughs> like, yeah. But it and that's like... what they, uh, the other, oh, go ahead. I'm sorry, Missy. Oh, you're, you're good. Um, I was going to say, it feels the whole thing, as you guys are saying these things, it feels like we as an audience are like, what is the the idiot or whatever, like a, a frog in a, a kettle or something like that, where you oh, just keep yeah. slowly turning Far- up the heat? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, well, that's kind of, because I was thinking earlier when we were talking about how, Nathan, for you, you start with shit-flavored yogurt and you end up where we are, and yet somehow it makes sense. It's like he keeps, mm-hmm. like, kind of turning up the heat with it. So, like you were saying, um, Adam, like that first episode... It's essentially like what we do all the time. We do microtransactions of, okay, I see that your face is doing this, therefore I'm going to respond like that. Mm. He just put it to paper and like planned it a little bit ahead of time. And so it feels Mm. normal. It's like, oh, I mean, it's kind of like, you know, I have a therapist who will have me journal and I'm like, oh, okay, Mm. so this is what it looks like when thoughts are on paper. And so for him, it's like, okay, uh, the seat that I want is taken, therefore I'm going to do this or I'm going to look kind of like you were saying. It's nothing that we don't do except we don't put it on paper and then film it. And yeah, then, I've been you know, following we, a flowchart this entire episode. Yeah, exactly. Right. It's, it's just we, we do it very quickly and we do it in our brains. Um, I didn't like, have time. I wanted to find a way to record an entire second podcast of people <laughs> pretending to be you guys. But I only thought of it like two days ago. That's why that woman was following me and asking me weird questions about my life. Right. I could her. not figure out how to make it happen. I wanted keep, to so bad. Keep though. chick in the city. Yep. Um, <laughs> Thrifty but yeah, boy. It's, it's like we have that with the the first episode where it feels normal and like the weirdest thing probably about the first episode for me was when he had that actress go and pretend like she was like the bird watcher yeah. person or whatever and yeah. it was yeah. like oh yeah. okay that's that's kind of weird so this this person's kind of being stalked 
But because we already had the precedent then for things being stocked, once we hit the second episode, it's like he turns it up a little, but at that point we're already like, okay, people are going to be stocked. That's just a normal aspect of the show. But then he just <laughs> yeah. kind of keeps turning up the heat and we just kind of keep going with it until, yeah, it kind of hits that breaking point of like, ah, okay, like I get that this is what you've been doing kind of to like a smaller degree, but now it just feels really weird. And it's interesting to see where everybody's like breaking point is for where it's going to be like, no, nah, this is too far. Whether it be like you're moving into this guy's house or, you know, you've now imprinted on a child or whatever the case might be. Um, but it's I mean, it's part of what makes it such good television is like, I mean, almost finding your own breaking point within what he's doing as he's slowly turning up that that burner. Well, on the and kettle it, that we're all sitting mm-hmm. in. It also is like, is it technically immoral that he's living in this dude's house in the in the in the narrative that the show has crafted? Right. Yes. Yeah. But we don't know if that guy had advance notice. He could have told him, like, hey, this is what's going to happen. You know, yeah. like, th- we right. don't know how honest or dishonest Nathan is being about some of exactly. this stuff. And, and so that, that's what's really, that's what's really complicated about it. Yeah. yeah. But I think that the show also wants you to ask that question. That's the whole mm-hmm. point. Like, right. it's, it's, it's questioning the very nature of a reality show by doing one. Like, that's yeah. what I said at the beginning, you know? Yeah. Yeah. And, and that's ultimately, I think, what the larger like big letters about the show is but at the same time like there was this i don't know people were like oh angela's an actor oh robin was an actor oh amber the mom of remy was an actor it's like okay i don't think all these people were all actors because one if they are they deserve all the awards on the planet because they they felt (laughs) too real and too insane to (laughs) to have just like made those choices on the fly or honestly for anyone to have written those responses to some of the shit for them Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. like and i i think it's it's sort of the same deal you make with like a magician right you know it's all like smoke and mirrors but at some point there's a skill they had to develop right like yeah if i do a sleight of hand trick and i do it really well yes i have fooled your brain but into like i fooled your, you your, lied to I, me I, let's I, be honest you I've, lied to me. i've lied to you and i've <laughs> right. fooled your reactive brain but you're not gonna go home being like i met a wizard today right like right. you know there was a <laughs> skill i developed in order to misdirect you in order to do that now some people think that when someone does that, it's in order to laugh at the person. Uh, some people think it's in order to dazzle the person or impress them and leave them with something to think about. It gives them this little puzzle that they can think about. You know, obviously, most sleight of hand tricks I can Google and figure out how someone did. Uh, but even doing that, right, I can Google and see, like, it probably find interviews with most of the people in the interview or see if people declined to, to quote, share the magician's secret. But it kind of doesn't matter right like it's still right if i know how you do a magic trick it doesn't matter because i haven't developed that skill so you still showed me an impressive skill you have developed and Mm -hmm. with nathan or with uh the rehearsal if we come out and like once again clearly not everyone's an actor but if it comes out like okay like what's his name uh thomas thomas had advance notice that nathan was going to be living in his house Mm-hmm. I don't think that breaks the reality of the show as presented all that much. No, I think the show would still be good and I would feel less weird about enjoying it if that <laughs> turned out to be true. Like, I almost yeah. want to hear that. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, that yeah. was the, that's the other thing in that episode that I find really, really, like, that's why that ep- the fourth episode with the, the fielder method is my favorite one. It's also because he comes home and he does the fielder method 
on the actor playing Adam yeah. and on Angela without ever saying it to them or the audience. Mm-hmm. Right. He never even voiceovers and says like, and now I'm going to do this on my fake family. But he, at the beginning of that episode, like it's foreshadowed where Angela is telling him about her parents and how much she hated her dad because like he wasn't there for her. And then like she was doing all this rebellious stuff to sort of like get back at him or to deal with her own, her own suffering and pain. And so like he goes into the kid and he's like, Hey, if I just, if I was your dad and I showed up after being gone for nine years, like, how do you think you'd really react? And the kid like, you know, thinks about it for a little bit. They talk about it. And Nathan's like, do you have any friends that experienced that? Do you think you could Mm -hmm. maybe draw on what you know about his experience? Mm -hmm. It's like he stealth gets the kid to do the fielder method in the middle of that episode, but like works it back around so that now the, the, Angela has having experience where her child hates the father, which is also like what she went through as a kid and like the levels Mm. of that and how he got all of that to like work together for the show and for the narratives he's trying to build for this people. Like I, uh, yeah, yeah, this just got me, got me thinking you guys are, you guys are getting me thinking the show's getting me thinking. Yeah. I really like the, uh, I really like that Timothy Chalamet kid. I also thought oh, he, looked like he was great. Chalamet. Yeah, yeah. No, that was that was a really good episode too. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it, like, side note, MJ, when you had said you didn't recognize that the sweater thing was like, there's no way they could be making a joke after this really heartfelt thing. My first thought was when they went through that whole thing with the drug addict kid, and then the little boy comes down through yeah. the tunnel, and but then you still linger to watch <laughs> to see that the older actor was just kind of like hanging on to the top of the slide. And he was <laughs> like, that's is that it? it? Like, yeah. Then. He's like, yeah. I don't know if we wrapped. Can I break character? What? Yeah. <laughs> Oh, also when he like starts running through the different layers of how the rehearsal could have gone differently without this kid like thinking that he was his dad and he hires the adult to play the six year old and it shows him. He's like the vaping vape. outside. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I died during that part. It's one of the best shots. That's the best visual gag in the show, I think. That or the freaking labels on the vegetables. Um, oh uh-huh. yeah. Just like uh, anything I... that calls attention to the artifice of what it what it is, right? And that's I think that's ultimately the thing, right? It's 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 our it's artifice. It's artificial. It is sold as artificial from the beginning to everyone involved. He's not dishonest about that. I think at all, yeah. except maybe the fielder method. Um, and my so, favorite my favorite small gag is that when the real Angela gets up off the couch and like takes her tea, she mm-hmm. gets up and walks past Nathan between the coffee table and the sofa oh, so that he yeah. has to move his legs out of the way. Yes. And then because they reenact that scene with the actress playing Angela, You're she serious? has to do that every <laughs> single time. <laughs> it's just oh, one great. dumb inconvenient choice that then they had to do 30 times. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Oh, goodness. That's hilarious. But um, I, I, he's not dishonest about the artifice of the show to at least the people doing the rehearsals, right? Like it, it's known to them. The fielder mm-hmm. method gets a little more muddy um, yeah. as far as that goes. But it kind of reminds me of, um, did you guys see that Dylan doc uh, that Scorsese made? Not the first one, the new one about the Rolling Thunder review. No. So it's no. called, uh, it's called, it's got a, it's got a whole title. Rolling Thunder. Thunder review. A, a Rolling Bob Thunder Dylan review, story. a Bob Dylan story by uh, Martin Scorsese. Huh. So the thing about this is, the Rolling Thunder Review is a tour that Dylan did in 76 um, after his motorcycle accident, after he stopped playing with the band. And it was sold as this kind of 
back to roots type thing. He played smaller venues. He brought Joni Mitchell with him. It was kind of like a, almost like a hoot nanny where like all the musicians would get on stage and jam with each other and stuff like that. In the grand scheme of Dylan's career, not a huge tour for him. Uh, there's like a, there's like a, there, you can, you can get a recording of one of those shows and stuff, but like ultimately kind of a blip on his larger career's radar. Pretty normal thing for him to do. Doesn't sound like that exciting. The film is about Dylan after his accident, after going electric, where he fits even in the late 1970s, right? Because he's such this icon of the 1960s counterculture movement. And so that's what the movie explores is sort of like, it's the bicentennial of America. It's the 70s. Disco's a thing, but Dylan's still Dylan, right? He's this enigma and unknowable and he's gone electric and now he's getting back to his roots and he's doing these shows and he's got white face paint on with this like hat or whatever. But when they were doing press for it, Dylan was like, even at the beginning of the movie, Dylan's like, it's, I don't remember. He's like, I'm a completely different person. Like, I don't know why we were even doing this documentary. And throughout the documentary, they keep interviewing the guy who was the photographer for the, uh, for the tour. And he's telling all these stories about photographing the musicians and, and all these stories about like backstage and the tour and the road and all this. That dude's not real. Um, they, they invented that guy for this documentary and didn't tell anyone. So like the, they just, <laughs> like, if you go watch that documentary without knowing that you just think he's the tour photographer, but he wasn't, they made up two characters and hired actors to play them. And a lot of people had a lot of problems with that. <laughs> um, people were really mad about it. Even I took a documentary film class and I, I brought it up to the teacher and he was like, I fucking hated that movie. <laughs> he was like, I did not appreciate, like, I felt like I was being made fun of by that movie. Mm. And that's how I felt the first time I watched it. But I watched it again for that class because it was on the list of, like, films we could watch for that class. And I had that knowledge going into it now. And I liked it way more um, because of how experimental that sort of is. Mm -hmm. Right? And uh, also, the movie doesn't explicitly tell you that that's a made-up person but it does like it it starts off with this seemingly out of place silent film of a magician doing a magic trick and it's not really addressed it doesn't seem like it fits in the rest of the film but if you have the idea in your head that they kind of are doing this sleight of hand thing with the tour photographer and I don't remember who the other person was. Um, it, it puts all of that into context. And it was released on the Criterion Collection. And the Criterion Collection is photos of the musicians on stage during the tour, but it's arranged like a Rorschach test is the cover. So it looks hmm. like an ink blot. And so it's like this movie is whatever you want it to be. Is It's a narrative feature about a you know, it's a fictionalized account of a real time in Bob Dylan's life, or it's a documentary, or it's a movie about America on the brink of its bicentennial, or it's a movie about an icon finding his way in this new way, you know, in, 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 in this decade that should have left him behind, but didn't like, it's whatever you project onto the film and the cover of the criterion drives that point home. So at that point, are they being that dishonest about it? Yeah, kind of, but also no, like, it's this this idea of like I said like truth through artifice is really breaking into the these reality shows and these documentaries in ways that hasn't ever been done in the format before. That's it's a really interesting 
point and it makes me think like back to the the little kid in the last episode as you say like um you know it's kind of like what you take out of it i mean because that's art at its core you could argue is deceptive whether it be mm-hmm. you know visual art or, or you know performance art anything like that it's you know when i sing i'm i'm not actually you know like a musical instrument i'm just you know fluctuating my vocal mm-hmm. cords in a weird way or something like that and, and same thing with actors so it's a, you can choose to view it as as deception or you could choose to not but uh, then it makes me think of the little kid i mean because of his stage in life, like, it's not like he was choosing to believe that, that Nathan was his dad, but that, you know, his life experience and embracing that art and engaging with that art, that was what he got out of it. So is it wrong to not, I guess, presuppose what everybody's reaction to your art is going to be? And if they mm-hmm. react to it poorly, like that little kid did, is that your fault? So is it Nathan's fault that he's been presenting this art form to us this whole time. And because this child's reaction to it and the way they engage with the art ended up being something that we objectively think, or, you know, majority would think is, is kind of wrong. Like, was it wrong for him to do? Is it as easy to condemn him and say like, what you did was manipulative to this child because he was doing what we've been watching for seasons and seasons and Nathan for you. And also through this entire show, if that makes any kind of sense. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, oh, it, I don't know if there was a question I, in there or not, but it's, I don't know. It just makes me think. <laughs> yeah, no, I, th- I think you're right. Like, I mean, ultimately, right. If we're going to start pointing fingers about that, which I don't know how helpful that is, but I, it's kind of the mom, right? Like she's the one who needs to prep her kid that better that this is an acting gig because I've seen six year old actors who I think pretty much know they're acting. Yeah. And so like, it's your job as a parent to make sure your kid's mature enough to handle something like that. And yes, it's a different, really offbeat, weird performance. Uh, then, you know, I'm going to go play Will Smith's kid in you know, whatever movie, but it's still acting. Right. And like, we see that even three years later in the nine-year-old, like when, when Nathan is like, do you think I'm a good dad? And he's like, I think you're a great scene partner. <laughs> right. Um, that's right. one of the coldest things I've ever heard. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. But like that kid has a pretty clear understanding of his position within this thing. Uh-huh. Yeah. Well, then also, like, I mean, on the mom's part, is it wrong that the kid went through that? I mean, we don't like seeing a kid obviously be sad for a little bit when he has to realize that Nathan's not his dad. But I mean, I can remember probably Disney movies or something where I realized like mermaids aren't real. And that probably was just as detrimental in my mind as a five year old. Yeah. But I was still brought the magic of entertainment and that kid got to experience the love of a father. I, I'm just honestly trying to play devil's advocate right, right. now. Right. No, no, no. It's, it's, like, it's like, is it immersive immersion therapy at that point? Right. Like, yeah. His kid is like, working yeah. through a father. Yeah. Yeah, mm-hmm. exactly. I mean, yeah. And that's a good point, right? Like my wife's first crush was Simba, you know, like, oh, yeah. you know, kids like kids one have a very malleable like reality and it it can change moment to moment. And like, you know, I was thinking about that. I was thinking about that a lot too, where like, it sucks that, and it's ultimately, I think a good thing that Nathan had to reckon with like, Oh, am I ruining people's lives by doing this? And like, maybe this was immoral and it probably was, but at the same time, I'm not sure like a six year old going through that, I don't know if that's even going to be a blip on his radar when he's 26, exactly. you know, like yeah. it, it may be because it's, it's archived. He might be like, I kind of remember that, but I don't have my memories when I was five and six are pretty fuzzy, you know, like, mm-hmm. right. I don't know. And kids are real resilient when it comes to stuff like that to begin with. You oh, know? he forgot and, Nathan's name. One of the times when he came back, yeah, he was like, what's yeah. your name again? 
Yeah, and yeah. like, and that's what like I believe the mom when she says that he's going to be okay. Yeah, and that's yeah. why I think that like I can stomach watching this show at all is because I know yeah. that like the kid probably is going to be okay. It was still really messed up and difficult to watch, but I can believe that. Yeah, it was more I think traumatizing for us <laughs> than it's ever yeah. going to be yeah. for that kid. Yeah, and gets us to think about it and talk about it like we are, which is again a good thing, a sign of good art. Yeah, and you know I think the other thing too is like we're never going to meet this kid probably, right? Like. We don't know. There's also something kind of like almost performative in us being so worried about him. Yeah, that's a good point. Uh, is it performative or is it manipulative on the ha- behalf of the show? Like, did the show manipulate us into feeling that way, though? It could be both. Yeah. A bit of both. Well, I mean, we choose to react the way we're going to react. Like, I could slap you in the face and you could choose to slap me back. You could choose to call me names or you could choose to sit there and take it. And you could say, if you slap me back, well, you made me do it because you slapped me. But at the end of the day, it's your choice. Like, I mean, he put all the motions into place for us to feel the way we were going to choose to feel. But I, I mean, we chose to feel and react the way that we did. Yeah. Right. Yeah. So. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, and that's a matter of like how close we think this show was to reality or how close yeah. it was to fiction. Yeah. Which is something, and that's the unknowable portion of it, right? And that's what's right. driving, yeah. driving us up the wall, trying to figure out what the hell this actually <laughs> is, because we're we never going to know. Question? And that's the point. The point is that we're never going to know, but that's the point of life, right? So ultimately, yeah. the show is making its point really, really, really profoundly and really, really expertly. Yeah. That's why, like, we keep saying that this show does something bad, but I don't think it's, like, a bad show or that it was, like actually immoral because it has like it's doing this in service of making the point yeah like all these points that we're talking about yeah yeah i mean it's sort of just like bringing things up for us to poke and prod and think about and i think ultimately that's better than every other reality show right but sure at the same time by nature of it being a reality show ultimately it is still making us good a reality show making us question the moral of a the morality of reality shows makes us question the morality of that specific reality show, whether that's the thing bringing up the point yeah. or not. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. Yeah. it, 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 it kind of, yeah, like I said, it's, it's doing the thing that is condemning. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. But doing it in service of getting you to condemn it, which that's where <laughs> it gets real twisty. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. And, and I think the thing that makes the show work really well to the point where I'm comfortable podcasting about it is it doesn't have an ego about it in the sense that like, it's saying, oh, this is what all those other shows do. Because the final yeah. episode is literally reckoning with, oh, like, yeah, yeah. because we are this type of show, questioning the morality of this type of show, we are no better than this type of show. Yeah. The humility there is, is huge. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's what makes it go down a little bit easier, too. And I think. And then, and then Nathan does seem so genuine. Mm-hmm. Yeah. He is in character and he is doing something that you cannot relate to at all. But mm-hmm. he is very genuine about it, and there are things like his like his struggle with like what is fatherhood like. That I mean that's pretty relatable. I mean like yeah. the executive producer part of Nathan is not relatable at all. Yeah, as, as no. architect of this thing. Yeah, yeah, I think he has very relatable like anxieties about you know con- controlling situations that he may or may not have a say in or whatever. Like I think, I, and I think that's the thing is I think a lot of people um, can really lock into the motivation behind why he would start something like this. Like, I think, sure. I think you can totally be like, Oh, I get it. Like, I get why you would go there for this and, and do this ridiculous idea. Because I think if I had it in my power, I would do something similar for, you know, X thing that I'm trying to work through or whatever. Like, it's just, 
right? It, it is, like I said, it's immersion therapy for a, on a grand scale. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It's Maybe core. it's really late in the show to say this, but I was reading about like the origins of the show and it, uh, apparently it came up because he was, when they were working on Nathan for you, they would have sort of these like scripted practice conversations where he would run through pitching the idea to the businesses okay. and the other people on the, on the crew and production staff of the show would role play like these conversations and like receiving these ideas from him and how they role played it usually was completely incorrect and not at all what happened. And so he would get really frustrated (laughs) by like the process of trying to predict how people would respond to it. And he's like, well, like how could I make that work? What would it take Mm, to be able to predict these sort of interactions and, and reactions? Yeah. That's really interesting. Yeah, that is really interesting. But I think the ultimate point that he lands on, which is correct, is that, the unpredictability, like the Full House song, is is the <laughs> is the is the thing. That's the thing that makes us human. Yeah, and, and we said earlier that specifically in Nathan for you, the times that that show is best is when the people do something that Nathan or the audience is not expecting, and like they either right. take it a step further or they're a little bit crazier than him. Yeah. So like the best parts of that show were where people didn't react as you would expect them. Or to. even Nathan himself, right? I know he came under a lot of fire during that exorcism episode where he takes a picture of the lady getting <laughs> going through the <laughs> exorcism. Um, like that's that's <laughs> one of the things that the in the AV club interview the guy's mom harps on him about, and she's like, "Why'd you take a picture of that lady?" He was like, "I didn't know what else to do." Like he, right. he, he was like, "It was such a bizarre situation that that." was just like i defaulted to that you know like i just mm-hmm. that uh-huh. was just my body reacting to how insane that situation was and she was like well you should have like looked at the camera to let us know you were feeling that way and he was like me doing that is letting me know letting you know that that's how i feel because who would do that you know like it's such an <laughs> out of care it's such a quote out of character decision but at the same time it's not because he did it and right also like I don't know how I would react if I was sitting in a room and someone was like, we're going to do an exorcism now. And then the other person like getting the exorcism performed on them is really selling it. You know, like I, I don't know. That's actually a great example of, of a time that like Nathan for you worked and the business was totally on board. Cause as far as yeah. I know that that realtor still advertises as the ghost realtor. Yeah, I think so. Yeah. yeah. Like that's still part of her branding. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I mean, mm. uh, Okay, so we've established that he helps, <laughs> um, right. but what's the what's the batting average on that, right? Like, dumb Starbucks isn't still a thing, but is that cafe still like, hey, we were dumb Starbucks? Dumb Starbucks actually is an interesting case where the business owner dropped out in the middle of that episode. Oh, really? Right. I didn't see actually, the episode. Yeah, I, just... I, want, I want nothing to do oh, with okay. that. Oh, I yeah, didn't see that episode. And Nathan was like, well, I'm halfway in, and this is going to be a good episode. So he just went he went through with okay. it. Okay. My only frame of reference for Dumb Starbucks was the news headlines it made because Starbucks tried to sue him over it. Yeah. Right. No, I missed all the news. I was surprised like in the show that it was like, oh, yeah, and yeah. the news talked about it. And I was like, wait, what? People knew about this before the show came out? Yeah. That's, right. how, that's how I learned about what Nathan for you was, was because I I remember yeah. oh, seeing, seeing headlines about dumb Starbucks and I was like, that's hilarious. Well, but I think to answer your question, MJ, it's like, if you're looking, if you're taking it at face value and saying that his helping is like actually what he's stating at the beginning of the show, for instance, you are now going to sell poop flavored yogurt, like forever. Mm-hmm. Like if that was the actual goal, then it's like, no, he failed. He's not really helping them, but it's kind of like with this show, like there's so many deeper levels to what's actually 
kind of being presented to us as an audience, the things that the people that he's helping can learn from it. And very rarely is it actually at face value, like helping their business. A lot of these people, you'll see them grow in various ways. We obviously as an audience get to see and experience it and grow in different ways. So it's like, I mean, it, I, I think it's, it's helping and that's not even like a help. It's like a help. Like, Mm -hmm. I think it's beneficial for us to have these conversations, to see these kind of things, to question these things about ourselves. Is it moral and ethical for us to try to control situations? Probably not. Do we continue to do it? Yes. Uh, can we recognize that people being unpredictable is a natural part of life and we should embrace that? Yes. But do we still try to control it? Yes. You know, it's like, these are good things for people to think about. And, and we talked about again, how many times have I said this in our Nope episode, um, there's such a, a dearth of that, of, of things that are really trying to get you to think and self-examine in such a deep way that I, I do think this is beneficial and helpful. I, I like what he's trying to do, even if it's in kind of weird ways. And I know that that's a slippery slope statement because, you know, then how far can he go morally, you know, I don't know. But yeah, so all that to say, I do think it's helpful. Yeah. I mean, did you, uh, this is a very extreme comparison. Have you guys seen, or do you know what the act of killing is? No, I've heard of it though. The, I mean, no, I do know what it is. Like on a it. word definition? Like no, killing, no, no, like no. The, the, the documentary, The Act of Killing. No. It's a, Werner Herzog was involved with this, but it's an Oppenheimer, My uh, man. Jo- Joshua Oppenheimer film. And um, it follows uh, this, like, these guys who were essentially a death squad in Indonesia in 1965 and 1966. They contributed to the killing of, like, a million people in Indonesia. And Mm -hmm. one of the key figures um, in that is a is is still alive and and revered by the the right-wing party of the nation um and so oppenheimer goes and interviews this guy and has him tell uh he has him tell the stories of these guys who he killed like he, he he has him recount the stories of killing these people but then he tells him we're going to make movies out of this and they recreate some of the real they fake it but they recreate some real situations of like torture and killing that this man perpetrated as gangster films western films and musical films and mm-hmm. um <clears throat> it shows the process of them doing that and it shows you know this guy and his friends going through this process and then at one point they make the guy play one of the victims and he freaks out he can't handle it and he stops production on mm-hmm. the movie and um that's when oppenheimer tells the guy he's like you know, this was worse for the people you did this to because you were just acting right now and you were safe the whole time. Mm-hmm. And uh, then the guy, like, really, he has a breakdown, essentially. And then he goes to revisit the site, which is this rooftop. He goes to revisit the site where he did a lot of these killings and starts really in, gra- in graphic detail describing how he was killing these people. And, like, dry heaving the entire time he's doing it. Um, And 
it it almost feels like he has to go through it again you know this once again this immersion therapy to get him to come to terms with like who he had been and what he had done now obviously it's a very intense thing um once again two weeks in a row mj had to watch super fucked up movies for class um and, <laughs> first the elephant now this <laughs> yeah yeah first topsy and now this uh but this movie i think won best documentary um uh topsy did not oh, t- uh, topsy's death did not yeah uh, um, and uh you know i but like it's the same thing right isn't it yeah I... go ahead adam <laughs> I, I don't feel qualified to talk about the acting. <laughs> sure. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I, man, I don't you know. Have you guys seen F for Fake? That's all I got. <laughs> that's a lot. That's a, we should have done that. No, that'd yeah. be a lot more fun. That's a, that's a lot that's more a fun much, metaphor. That's, that's a, yeah, that's, a, that's one that goes down easier. Active killing is rough. Uh, well, you, you saw them both. What do you think, MJ? I mean, is it the same? I mean, I think so, right? Like, he's he's ultimately using this artifice of, like, particularly, right, because you have the other layer of, like, it's a foreign country, but, like, a lot of Western films get uh, exported over there. So he starts using these films originally, like, to play the badass gangster, like, who doesn't take shit and all this. And then by the end, you see him, like, understanding... Oh, you know, it's like that, 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 that clip from that, I don't know what show it is, that British TV show where, like, it's the Nazis, and one of them's like, hey, are we the baddies? Um, yeah, yeah. It, like, it's, it's one of the Mitchell and Webb shows. Yeah. Yeah, it's, it's sort of like that, where, like, he ultimately gets this guy to, like, because the guy is pretty unremorseful uh, about uh, what he had done, and, like, it led him to very great political power within Indonesia, and so... He sees it as a net positive for his life, and then this Oppenheimer goes and forces him to reckon with it in this way where he's like, "Oh shit," you know, and and you know, at one point he like he says he doesn't want to think about it, right? He starts questioning whether or not he was a, he was sinning while he was doing this, and then he starts crying and says, "I don't I don't want to think about this. I don't want to think about this." And then Oppenheimer, that's when they take him to the rooftop, and he, I I think from what I remember, someone if if anyone who's listening to this has seen this film, from what I remember, he doesn't even push him to start recounting these killings. Like at that point, he kind of takes over the narrative of the film and is like, it's almost his atonement for that, at least uh, in his eyes. Like this is, this is the, the small penance he has to do in order to, to work past what he's mm-hmm. done. And now once again, people on the rehearsal have not done anything nearly as extreme as what this man in this film has done. However, um, it 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 still opens up that question of like i don't know what are they working through like they're working through something right angela hates her dad angela has this history of partying and i think leads to some i think they call it scrupulosity um where like you feel like you always have to make the right decision within a given moment because of maybe Mm -hmm. some either past trauma that you've had or whatever. And like Angela feels that way. So she errs on the side of caution of like, everything is the devil unless I say otherwise. Um, And I don't think he helped her break her from that, but he gave her this very out of the ordinary off the wall experience that maybe, you know, forces her to question with this sort of very rigid reality she lives in. Um, And it's on her to be self-aware enough to get there. 
but he provides her the tools she needs in order to do this. And that's, you know, the act of killing kind of does the same thing with this guy, right? Um, Nathan is constantly providing people tool sets and then letting them make decisions within that framework, right? Like the guy with the, like the guy with the dead grandpa, he just starts ghosting. He just ghosts Nathan. And like, I th- I take that as a, like he says, like maybe that's all he needed. And I think it is right. Like as someone who's gone through their mm-hmm. own personal griefs, like, yeah, sometimes you just need a place to process that. And once you process it, you don't move on from it, but like you have a better relationship with it mm-hmm. or core who like, really needed to go through every little painstaking detail of the process to feel okay with this, right? Like, it helps. It helps him, right? Yeah. And and it, like you said, it could potentially help this Remy kid long-term, and he may not even know it, uh, yeah. that he, he suddenly became cool with not having a dad after that, you know, or as cool as one could be, right? Like, I think there's always going to be this sort of longing, Um when you see other kids on the playground or at school or whatever, or other friends' houses or whatever, that, you know, why isn't my life like that? But it could put him in a healthier place with that, too, mm-hmm. to even have a little bit of a memory of what it was like to have a dad. So... Well, there you have it, everybody. We've decided the rehearsal objectively good. The right moral <laughs> thing to do. I like it. Yeah. In like it. <laughs> its, its uh, own weird way. Yeah, and I was going to say, the, the, specifically the guy with the grandfather thing, I don't think we ever said, like, what he got up to afterwards. Nathan calls him because he didn't show up, and then it turns out he went to the amusement park, yeah. and he says that he and his girlfriend just decided to take a day to celebrate. Yeah. And like, funnel cake yeah, or something. <laughs> seems like he really did work through that, yeah. and, like, then they decided to have a good day after that. Yeah. Like, it's not just that he didn't show up because he got what he needed. Like, it seems like he almost explicitly said, like, and I'm good now. Like, I can go, like, just do something just for me. Yeah. Yeah, because yeah, I don't think... He, and here's the thing, right? Here's where it gets really muddy. I don't think anyone is on the side of this guy in the act of killing, but I don't think anyone's on, like... I don't think anyone who watches that film isn't like, yeah, he probably should have come to terms with this. Like, this probably helped him a lot. Like, realize, mm-hmm. oh, I, I, I'm I, a bad person. <laughs> um, whether he wants to believe it or not, it forced him for the first time maybe ever to come to terms with that. And so... I mean, that's a really extreme, like I've been saying, it's a really extreme example both in relation to this film, but it's also really extreme circumstances that this man had to go through to come to this conclusion about himself that everyone else has had. And so it helped him, right? I don't know I don't know his, you know, story after that. Um, they did do a follow-up film that I haven't seen. The Look of Silence, that's what it's called. Um, but... Uh, yeah, I think the rehearsals, like I said, the very low stakes version of that were like, these people need to, like, these people's, like, anxieties and neuroses have overtaken their lives in ways that they can't, they feel trapped by them. And so now is is what Nathan is doing helping them do that? It seems like kind of yes. So, yeah, yeah, but then the way it's presented is like, okay, but should we be witnesses to that? Like, do, sh- should we know who Core is? Well, and then at that point, though, you can bring in kind of what I, some, I think one of you mentioned earlier. I mean, there are release forms. They at the end, the kid, it gets a little dodgy, but it's like at the end of the day, they signed up for it. I right. mean, they even if they didn't know exactly what was happening, there were adults mm-hmm. who were like, I'm OK with this experience being filmed. 
And I'm sure they could have had the chance to, you know, renege on that if they needed to. But I don't know. Even Robin, even Robin, he looks like an idiot for about 36 hours. (laughs) And then he quits the show because he doesn't want to do it. And he still signs a release. Yeah. He's in it for a full episode. Yeah. I don't know. I I think it's good. I think it's helpful for us to see it. And I think it it is a little more palatable knowing that these people were like, yeah, I'm okay going through. I mean, even if they don't know the exact outcome, that's life. uh, You know, they were okay with it being filmed. So, yeah. Yeah. I don't know. Uh, I guess this is my final thing on it. Uh, What a cool year for media. I think 2022. Yeah. Like I, I haven't, I haven't been this jazzed about any new release, anything in a long time. And like, I think the, the, I think especially this trio of episodes we have, like our Nope episode just came out, the rehearsal episode, and then the Everything Everywhere episode. Like, there's a lot going on. Like, the, the media we have in 2022 yeah. has a lot on its mind. Um, mm-hmm. And I, I mean, I'll, I think a lot of it is processing the last two years of yeah of, of what happened because, yeah. like, I don't know if you guys know, shit got weird um, for yeah. everyone for a while what, there. When? and uh what when specifically what are you talking about point to a day (laughs) (laughs) point to a virus and its variant please yeah um and like i like seeing that reflected in how like weird and offbeat everything is now and also that it's hits right like a lot of people watch the rehearsal a Mm -hmm. lot of people watch everything everywhere like that was a24's biggest hit by a mile it's not even close and like We'll talk about this on the episode, but I can't believe that movie found an audience. Yeah. The way it did. It's so weird. It's honestly encouraging, though. Yeah. Mm Because it's like, with all the shit that's been put out, you get to the point of thinking, like, are we in the idiocracy state where it's like, this is all people want and think? Like, am I the weirdo who wants to think something after watching something? But it's like, no, the fact that people are seeing these headier uh, projects... And, and coming in droves to see them, I'm like, oh, thank God. Like, there's still a lot of people who enjoy and want to embrace and engage with, like, good art. So yeah, hopefully we get more of it. I don't know how far into, like, current events you want to get, but also the renewal of season two of the rehearsal came out the same week that, like, Batgirl got shelved and <laughs> yeah. all of the stuff about oh, Warner Brothers yeah. Discovery came out. And it's like, oh, good. Well, like, movies and TV is dead forever now. Yeah, and then like the rehearsal of all things got a second season. I can't like, believe that. Show got wait, a second who's approving? <laughs> who's approving season two of the? The guy moved a bar across the country for like three jokes. <laughs> who's appro- Who's letting him spend more money? Yeah, well, he performed a satanic ritual of eating a child's poop. <laughs> well, and also, <laughs> and also, uh, he did fake winter at this house when he said it was that's like my that's yeah. super probably expensive. my favorite shot in the whole show he says it turns out winter is very expensive to maintain yeah. and then it's like a drone shot just rising yeah. from the house where you see like you know 10 acres of snow or something i don't know how big an acre is yeah it's an so acre of snow yeah. yeah it's not a lot but yeah um <laughs> well and i'll say too is like someone who co-hosts a current release movie and tv podcast I'm glad for it because I only have so much to say about Marvel and Star Wars, you guys. <laughs> like, you know, I'm pretty yeah. pretty tapped out on that. So, uh, well, I feel like we went through a series of like podcast episodes where every single episode it was like you, me, and Mike just being like, "Well, this sucked. Why did it suck? These reasons. Okay, bye. We're yeah. bad guys." You know? Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I remember you like saying the. Episode. 
you've been on, if I can do a little plug in yeah, here, yeah, yeah. Uh, you've been on two episodes of my James Bond podcast. Mm-hmm. And I remember at the end of the first one, probably off mic, you just said that this podcast was sort of like inactive because none of you guys wanted to talk about anything that was coming out right mm-hmm. now. <laughs> that was I, I, that. That that, yeah, that was like at the end, very end of the year because we were yeah. talking about the Spider-Man movie that, that you didn't do an episode on, I think. Yeah, we yep, still haven't done an episode on it. Thought about it, right, but exactly. like, I don't know. It sucks. That's all I have to say about these things anymore. Like, I don't like them. I've said everything. There's hours of me. There's like 20 hours of me talking about these things now, you know? Like, I don't know. It's just so hard. And so that's why, like, 2022 is why I really, like, wanted to get the podcast active again because, like, I started seeing some stuff and was like, oh, my God, I want to talk about this somewhere. Oh, right, I have an outlet where I can do that. Right. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, thanks, The Rehearsal. You helped me um, at the cost of these other people's livelihoods. (laughs) (laughs) And that's all that matters. Yep. Uh, You guys have anything else about The Rehearsal Season 1? Let me look at my notes. I just wrote down a few random things. Let me see if I can just get all these out. Uh, there's a moment where Thomas says, uh, complaining about the process, I don't generally like lying to people. And Nathan says, yeah, neither do I. <laughs> it just like pauses yeah. and almost looks into the camera. <laughs> That's a gym, a gym take. <laughs> yes, yeah. absolutely. Um, because of the rehearsal, the first episode set up like how a rehearsal works so clearly and like every stage of the process and, and how they, they put it all together. And then the, the rest of the shows want to talk, like the rest of the episodes want to talk about the bigger ideas behind each of the rehearsals. Um, you don't see as much of the process. So I love the little moments where you get to see, like in one of the scenes where after he decides that he's going to join the rehearsal, he has to go back and call all of the parents and say like, mm. hey, I'm going to be like pretend dad mm. co-parenting mm-hmm. with Angela. Just want to get your approval for that. You see all of his notes. He has an entire dialogue tree written out yeah. like he did yeah. before for, for that conversation. And you that know that great. he did that for every single one of those phone calls. Yep. Like mm-hmm. he, he came up with that and then he actually did it. And you don't actually see but 15 seconds of it in the show. But I just like that, that, that like the, the, the depth and the intricacy of the rehearsals keeps going even if we don't get to see it. Yeah. I mean, yeah. did you guys see that like the rehearsal subreddit? Um, I did see this. So there was the subreddit for the rehearsal. Well, someone else set up a rehearsal rehearsal subreddit. So you can go to, you can go to that subreddit and rehearse your posts that you're going to post on the main rehearsal subreddit. Yeah. Yeah. That's what made me, gave me the idea of like, I should try to record a podcast about the rehearsal (laughs) ahead of time. Yeah. I, I definitely had a joke in the hopper of like, yeah, I definitely, uh, uh, like hired an actor to, be you guys. Um, yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah. Uh, that's funny. Uh, Missy, you have anything else about the rehearsal season one? Um, no, definitely watch it. Uh, watch Nathan for you as well. I mean, Nathan Fielder, it, kind of like what you just pointed out, Adam, it's the attention to detail is easy to see when you see something like I did an exact replica of a bar and moved it across the country. But to see that he's actually putting in the work too with the things like writing out his own dialogue tree uh, and, and seeing how he is willing to adapt as the show adapts because he wants to also try to experience it. It's just he, he's an artist who I think is, is really worth watching mm-hmm. because he is putting in the time and the care. And that's always something, whether you mm-hmm. end up enjoying it or not, I think is something to respect uh, and, and something that's worth watching. So definitely watch the rehearsal if you haven't watched yeah, it. It's sort, he's sort of like the, uh, he's sort of like a quote family friendly. I know there's swears in the show, but like a family friendly Sasha Baron Cohen in that way. Um, mm, which like, interesting, yeah. he's written for Sasha Baron Cohen in the past. So 
That makes sense. But And sometimes I wonder, like, I have the same question about Sasha Baron Cohen and Nathan Fielder of, like, once they reach a certain level of, of notoriety, they almost can't do their thing anymore. Yeah. 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 But that has not, I, I guess the rehearsal is so different than what he did on Nathan for you that that's almost not even an issue anymore. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I think his, I think Nathan Fielder's thing is a lot more malleable than, uh, than Sasha Baron Cohen's thing. Like, I think he's got to be done, right? Like, after Borat 2, like, I don't know. Yeah. I don't know where else you take that sort of thing he does. How, yeah. I watch Borat 2 and I still sometimes think, how did you do Borat 2? Yeah. Like that. Yeah. <laughs> how did you get away with that? Yeah. I mean, like, there's a scene where he goes and finds a Borat costume in a Spirit Halloween, and the guy's like, yeah, it's a good costume. Like, he's just not yeah. realizing that it's a Borat costume. When he costume. lives at those people's house for two days, yeah. in character. <laughs> like, what is that? Yes. <laughs> um, yeah, I don't... I, I think they're cut from the same cloth, but I think, I think Nathan Fielder's thing is, like, it's as challenging in a different way. Mm-hmm. Um... And uh, I appreciate that people like that are out there doing their thing. Like, commit to the bit champions 2022. Uh, <laughs> um, but yeah, that's the rehearsal. It's a lot. I know this episode was probably a lot, but the show's a lot. So there you go. Uh, yeah. Go ahead. Oh, no, I was, I was like, do I have anything to add? And I was like, it? And I was like, no. I mean, what else is there to say? I feel yeah. like we touched on pretty much everything it is a lot and it's hard to explain um but it's yeah it is yeah. what it is which is a horrible it's also funny statement. did we say that it's funny <laughs> it oh, is it's yeah, very funny it is. yeah I, I kept meaning to point out that like nathan for you is a very very funny tv show and i thought right. the rehearsal was very very funny the first time i watched it it's not funny the second time oh really i think because you know where it's going <laughs> okay. and like you know like uh, like i said especially in that the episode with the fielder method like realizing that the same way that you feel horrified at the end of the whole season, you feel horrified in the middle of the actor episode. Yeah. So yeah. I, I don't know if it quite lands the same way because you know what it's building up to. I still enjoyed it, and it probably is funny, but I was also watching, rewatching it for, like, work for a podcast yeah. and not for my I, own personal I know what you so. mean. I, I did the same thing to prep for it, and, yeah, the rewatchability is there but in a different way yeah because it'll totally. it'll definitely change yeah. your mindset it's not like like i will always laugh at the food flavored yogurt because that's funny uh, and this was yeah less like oh that's you know hilarious that they're doing that. like i laughed the first time when he went into that guy's apartment because i was like that guy's got keyblades he's going to a weave's apartment <laughs> yeah. and he doesn't know mm-hmm. and then yeah. the second time i'm like oh he's going into this man's apartment unbeknownst to him yeah. and yeah this is weird yeah it, it reminded me of the movie following um the very first Christopher Nolan film. Mm. I watched that forever ago. I don't really remember it. So it's about a guy who starts like, he's a writer and he starts following Mm -hmm. this thief around and the thief notices because he's a thief. And so he kind of takes the guy under his wing, but then he ultimately like kind of starts living the same life that dude is living. And there's like another twist in it too, but it, that's what that reminded me of of him mm. doing that i was just like oh he's doing following for real don't do following for real like that's a fake movie. Oh, also, <laughs> the thief in following's name is Cobb. Mm-hmm. yeah that's so interesting yeah i forgot about that yep took it took it for inception uh yeah adam thank you so much for being on to yeah go through this odyssey thanks with for us, having man. me this was great good i'm glad you had a good time because it was a challenging episode <laughs> Yeah, for sure. Uh, since I, I won't be on though. next week, can I just uh, just pitch in a little yeah. bit? Everything, everywhere, all at once. Best movie of the year. Yeah, easily. Not close. Nice. Yeah, yeah. Um, it's great. 
Yep. Uh, my favorite of the movie of the year by far. Yes, same. And I really like some of the other ones too. So that's a that's a pretty pretty high watermark. Also same. Yeah. yeah. Uh, do you have anything to plug? I have a James Bond podcast. It's called The Bond We Share. We are just getting into the Daniel Craig movies, which means that we're almost done. And then I don't know. We're probably going to do some other kind of movie podcast after that. But uh, me and my friend Allison. Yeah, maybe. Uh, (laughs) That's a a spinoff. Me and my friend Allison, we've just uh, sort of talked through all the James Bond movies. I don't know how informative it is, but I think it's fun. I think that we have a good time. So I do that. Um, I kind of have a music theory podcast because that's like my real job. Um, but it it like bounces back and forth between inactive and not inactive that's called uh the theory behind it and it might become active again soon not sure but uh, that's those are my things i do oh you can also go follow me on letterboxd at adam moff because i love i love letterboxd now nice nice uh missy i have nothing to plug Go watch things. Yeah. <laughs> Go watch things and then interact with us and tell us what to watch because we like talking about things that are actually nice. Yep. And entertaining and fun to analyze. And also so, the release calendar for the rest of the year looks bad. Um, yeah, it does. For this year? Yeah. For the podcast or for movies? For movies. For both. Really? I thought some of them were good. <laughs> uh, I mean, we're going to do... <laughs> Shoot them our way. <laughs> yeah. Let me know. You're not excited about the Fablemans? Well, yeah, of course I'm excited about the Fablemans, but like... That's kind of it. Like, I don't give a shit about Avatar 2. I don't care about... Oh, I'm very excited for Avatar 2. I've never seen Avatar, so oh, okay. I'm really hyped for the re-release. Got it. Prepare to be let down. Yep. Um, <laughs> I mean, I'm excited about Jaws and IMAX next week, but I have a separate podcast for that. <laughs> um, yeah, you do. Uh, yeah. Uh, Which one of those should I see? Can you... I'm planning on going. Should I see the 3D or just regular? I- IMAX. If you can see it on IMAX. Because it's only... Yeah, I have the IMAX. Okay, yeah, yeah. IMAX. For sure. That's the one... But not the 3D. Yeah. I'm probably an insane okay. person, and I'm probably going to do both on two separate days back-to-back because I'm dumb. But, uh, well, it's because you've sort of made a lifestyle out of watching the movie yeah, a lot. Yeah, so, yeah, it was, I, that's, yeah, it was stupid. I texted know. my buddy Eric and was like, please talk me out of going to see Jaws both in IMAX and 3D next week. And he said, you may never be able to see them in those formats again. And then just didn't uh... respond to me the rest of the day. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, I, I saw the, the, I, I told you I saw the, I, the ET IMAX re-release yeah. like two weekends ago, yeah. whenever, and it blew oh, my mind. That? It's one of the best. It, it was amazing. It was fantastic. Nice. I gave it like a five out of five because it was just such oh, an cool. incredible experience. I don't know if I would have given it that high if I'd watched it like at home. Sure. Was that your like, first time seeing ET? I think the IMAX experience ET? really, really bumped it up. Was, was that? that your first time seeing ET? I saw it as a kid, and I remember oh, not loving it and also being scared by it. Mm. Same. Thank you I had I have no like me. nostalgic feelings. I just remember seeing it, um, and I had like a visceral reaction to it in the in the theater when like the the astronaut people break into the mm-hmm. house and then mm-hmm. the guys walk over the hill and that like really really long yeah. shot. Mm-hmm. Um, I was like terrified as a grown man, and I realized oh I'm <laughs> having like I'm having like a flashback moment. PTSD. <laughs> oh yeah, yeah that exactly. happened to me the first time I watched uh, Blair Witch Project as an adult, so I get it. <laughs> Um, <laughs> yeah, uh, but no, that was that was amazing, and so I'm really looking forward to the the Jaws. Nice. I've never seen Jaws, yeah. so I'll go yeah. see that in IMAX next week. Yep, I'm so excited for you to watch Jaws for the first time. I love it when people are like, "I've never seen it." And it's just like, "Oh, just uh, so good." Um, <laughs> yeah, uh, yeah. Tell us what to watch. MJ, what do you have to plug? What do I have to plug? Other podcasts, Jaws podcasts. Uh, let's Jaws for a minute. Not really about Jaws anymore, but 
we did watch Jaws minute by minute and talked about each minute of that film. Um, and now we are going through Steven Spielberg's uh, entire filmography. At least this season will be from Duel through Hook, with the exception of Close Encounters of the Third Kind and Always. Um, Sugarland Express is coming out next week. So we're pretty much at the beginning. Um, it's only his second major film. For obvious reasons, we are also skipping Jaws. Um, and what? Why? Because uh, we already did that episode. You didn't get all. You, you didn't get it all out. <laughs> what was? I'm sure you can scrounge up something else to say. Uh, yeah, probably. fake fans. Probably big fan. Um, and uh, that was funnier than you acted. And uh, yeah, uh, Sugarland Express. We're going to talk about everything, everywhere, all at once on this podcast. We're going to talk about RRR on this podcast, and then we're open to Possibly suggestions. the bear? Oh, yeah. I want, doing... I want to talk about the bear. Yeah. I'm like two episodes in, and it's great. It's so good. Also, it's real good. It, it levels off in stress levels after that, I think. Yeah, I was, I was pretty stressed out. I know what you meant when, I think it was you who said it was like Uncut Gems in a kitchen or something like that. I, I, was, <laughs> how I, felt. I was more stressed <laughs> out by the first two episodes of the bear than I was Uncut Gems. I was just upset by that one scene during Uncut Gems. I was like, I'm anxious. I can't do this. Yeah. Um, I think I was more stressed out. No, maybe not during Good Time. Than I, I like Good I uh, like Good Time more than mm-hmm. Uncut Gems. Mm. I'm only seeing Good Time. I don't know once. if I was more stressed. I need to rewatch both of them. I didn't get that stressed yeah. by either one of them, but I like both of those movies quite a bit. So. Mm-hmm. Um, They're good. Yeah. Uh, Spooky Times were open to suggestions. I know we're probably going to do the Midnight Mass episode. Hell yeah. Uh, yeah, I need to get watching it soon because it's that's a lot of hour long episodes to watch. Um, yep, you get to watch it because it's great. You don't have to follow, watch follow, it; you get to. Yeah, follow me on Twitter at mjsmith891. Uh, Real filmmaking, R E E L filmmaking. It's Corey's YouTube channel. Uh, Mike's got an audio book um, called The Ash and Prophecy, available on Audible. Uh, yep. Until next time, cheap chick in the city is the bad guy.